Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Teaching Tactics Podcast. I'm Chris Kent, and I'm joining Chris Bean. Mr. Bean? Hello, sir. Today we're going to continue our recap of our series so far. Last episode we covered episode 1 through episode 25. Today we're going to continue from episode 26 all the way up into episode 50. So, jumping right into episode 26, demonstrating information to your class. Now, we already kind of discussed or, or, or mentioned um, a little bit about demonstration earlier when we were discussing the different learning styles and also just how to demonstrate information to your students as you're going out through things. But uh, specifically in this episode, we talked about, you know, breaking down information into smaller uh, chunks, performing information slowly enough that you can talk through what you're doing, um, making sure you know your material and you're able to perform that material at the level you want your students to perform your, excuse me, your material up to. We also kind of talked about what your team should be doing during those demonstrations, during those uh, demonstrations, how they are, you know, they should also have a good knowledge of the information and they should be, be kind of uh, uh, watching the, the, um, students, making sure they're paying attention, making sure they're understanding everything, but also making sure they know that what, what you're doing so that when it comes time for them to either run a drill or help with that um, move, they know what's going on. They know how to kind of facilitate those things. So uh, 26 demonstrating information uh, kind of built on top of some other earlier discussed um, ideas or concepts, but again, it's important to have that that uh, foundation of, of you know, here's what's going to happen when I'm showing this move and how to show this move and effective and efficient, again, to build off of that uh, and just to, you know, be good at being able to demonstrate those things. Yeah, you know, as you're thinking about demonstrating the information to your class, realize that that is, that is how your class is going to perceive and, and intake the, any information that you're giving them. So be very clear as you're demonstrating the information. If you are demonstrating and, and that causes you to remember something and you go off in a weird tangent, maybe try to avoid that from happening. And, and in the case that it does happen, because from time to time somebody asks a question and it'll sort of be related, but not really. But do your best to, after everything, you know, all the questions are asked, all that time is spent, reiterate specifically what you want the class to do. Because often you demonstrate and then you answer a question, even if it's just one question, if it's like, hey, was this the left side or right side? Let me see it one more time. Okay. All right. Everybody good? Okay, go. And then sometimes, you know, they, they zoned out or, or, or they, they don't exactly remember precisely what to do. And so in that time, use that time, you know, cover everything you need to do, make sure it's small enough that they can actually retain the information. If there is any questions, answer those questions to the best of your ability, and then reiterate in a re real brief instance what specifically you want the class to do. That is so important. So if you get nothing else out of demonstrating information, realize that is the way you're, you're the, the conduit, as it were, the, the, the avenue of approach that your students are going to learn from be very clear and precise. And then on top of that, if you happen to go off in a tangent, do your best to hone down, reiterate specifically what they need to do in a very brief instance, and then give them the opportunity to go and practice that. Next is episode 27. Episode 27, we talked about uh, teaching private lessons, teaching private lessons. Of course, we started off with what is a private lesson. It is your one-on-one -on -one time with a student that either missed a class or needs some extra help or didn't uh, um, 
you know, come to a class and they need to make up a class or they know next week they're going to be gone on vacation. They need to make up a class, whatever it is. We have those private lesson times and usually it's a 15 minute time or can be, uh, can be between 15 minutes and 30 minutes, depending on how much time they're missing or how much things they need to go over. Uh, but having that one-on-one time available with your students, because as you know, in a class setting, you, you can talk to a group of students and have a small chance to be with them kind of on their own. But in that one-on-one time, that private lesson, you can really, you know, get that one-on-one interaction and get down to the details of the moves and everything's a lot easier for you as an instructor because you're not balancing 20 people. It's just you and that one student working on their thing. And that kind of ties into, you know, why is such a shorter lesson? You know, normal class is 45 minutes. Well, 45 minutes with 20 people sometimes isn't enough or it's a good, it's a good kind of balance, but 15 minutes with one person is more than enough or should be more than enough to, for you to cover the information you need to cover. So just having that one-on-one time and, and then beyond that, we talked about when you're in the lesson, being able to identify what they need to work on. Say, hey, what class did you miss? And refer back to your lesson plan on what you did that day or what class are you going to miss? And refer to your lesson plan again to see what they're going to miss. Or if they just made it for extra practice, say, hey, what do you want to work on? Okay, I want to work on X, Y, and Z. Great, let's start. And then out of that list, uh, choose the most challenging or the hardest or the most important part of those things to start with. So you start with the most important thing, work on that. If you get that down, good. You can move on to the next down the list of things in importance, but you don't want to start with the least important thing because it's the easiest or because it's the quickest. You want to get that challenging, hard thing out of the way, thing that might take the longest out of the way, the thing that's going to benefit them the most, work on that. And then you can kind of trickle down and work on the other things following that. And after that, and then we also talked about, you know, um, having someone else to the side just in case there's a cancellation or someone needs extra help or someone double books a private lesson or something like that. You have an extra available person to make kind of cover those, those gaps or those spaces. And of course, after you're done with your lesson, you want to go to the parent if it's a if it's a child or just recap with the adult that you had a lesson with, make sure they they understand or they know what you worked on, what you need to continue to work on, what they did good at, and just kind of debrief that lesson. That way, you know, the student and the parent or just the student as an adult kind of gets the best or the most out of that situation and everyone's on the same page there. Yeah, you know, as you're going through these lessons as well, on kind of on the back end, if you have a time slot for them to sign up for, be sure to assign a specific instructor to that person. Understand, you know, maybe they're a green belt and the John or, or Mr. John, whatever, uh, Master John, whatever your, your teacher's name is, works with green belts. So try to link them up because, I mean, not to say that, you know, so somebody else couldn't do that lesson, but if you can link it up with the person who is specifically or directly related to them and, and their, their cycle that they're in right now will be really beneficial because they'll know all the ins and outs, uh, specifically what that person needs to work on. It just makes it a little bit easier that, that kind of in between, you know, first three, four, maybe five minutes of trying to figure out, okay, what are we doing? Nope. They come in. Okay, pow, I know you missed this day. Let's get to it right now. Boom. That helps. That helps. And that's all kind of in the back end. All, I, all of those things, Master Ken said, you, you hit it. Perfect. Good job. Uh, just as, as you're setting those up, just do a little bit of work on the back end and assign those people, specific people, purposeful uh, to be impactful for the student. Yeah, speaking of, of back end, episode 28, we talked about goals for your students. And we kind of divided this into two groups. Uh, number one being the goals you have as a, a business 
And as far as getting leads, people who showed up for your class, people who enrolled, people who upgraded your program. And then later we talked about kind of goals for your actual students, goals for them to reach for and goals for them to kind of achieve. But going back to that first part, having these goals and metrics for us as a business, the leads who showed up, who enrolled, who upgraded, things like that. It's important to have those goals to be able to track your progress and also push yourself to do better. So, you know, this month I did this many people. Next month I want to try to do this many people. And, and taking that goal down, finishing out the, your your cycle, and then reassessing if you reached that goal, if you didn't reach it, if you surpassed that goal, and setting new goals for yourself, continuing after that. So not only are these goals for the students and their training, but also us as a business to help keep us on track, to help us grow, and to help us continue to reach as many people as we possibly can. And of course, the student side of things, we want them to have goals for themselves and we want to help them with those goals. So their goals might be things like earning their black belt, becoming healthier, being more physically fit, uh, improving their cognitive function, having a safe place they can make new friends at. But whatever these goals may be, we want to be able to help facilitate and help them um, to kind of quicker or better achieve those goals. So, you know, we need them to identify what they want. And then help them along the way to get there. So we talked about doing workbooks or videos or, you know, um, different seminars or things that we can do with them to help them achieve those goals and guide them along the way. So not only do we have those those business goals to, to help us improve as a business, but we need to make sure that our students are also um, learning and using a goal setting mindset for themselves to help them become better and improve themselves as well. And, you know, as you're going through and building this type of, of system or, or program, build it into your system. So whether it be on, on the back end where you're, you're tracking those metrics for yourself and your business, or it's on the student side, make sure that it happens in a, in a systematically purposeful, deliberate way. Don't, ah, okay, maybe this, this belt we're going to do goal setting and, and then, you know, this belt will do this. No, make it part of your system. And, and so that it's not, not your students aren't getting it by accident, but they're going through it and they're getting it in a purposeful, systematic way, because that's going to be so much more beneficial for your students to, to fully integrate and, and, and learn that stuff on purpose as opposed to just on accident or, or you know, hey, maybe, maybe we'll do this today or maybe we'll do that. You know, make it part of your system and that will build so much value into your system on the student side. And then on the business side, those stats, those are so important because that is your, that's your metrics. Then you get to know, okay, did this ad work? Okay, how many people did we get from this? Okay, yes, we'll make sure we do this for next year and we'll make it bigger or, or maybe we'll make it smaller, whatever it is having that feedback really is what it is. And then being able to implement different changes or, or tweaks based on the feedback that you got from those things would be huge for you and your business. Episode 29, we talked about new students, new students. So um, when you have these trials come to your school, what type of processes do you have in place? Do they know where to go? Can they find your school easily? Does your staff know how to get them on the training floor? How long has it been since they set up their trial? You know, have you talked to them since then? Did they sign up uh, in the class so they can track their attendance? All these things, we need to make sure that they're ready for the students as they come in and help it uh, to easily bring them into uh, your studio and try to get them set on their way. So first of all, you know, how did they contact us? 
Did they contact us through the web? Did they call us? Did they walk in the building? You know, we need to have these these things not only tracked, but different ways to deal with them. You know, so when someone calls, we have a phone script and we say, you know, uh, this is what we do when they ask this. Here's how we answer this. Here's how we pick up the phone. Here's how we end the phone call. Here's how we get them from point A to point B. As in, hey, I want to do martial arts too. Hey, all right, see you on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Boom, get that stuff done, get that stuff, you know, ready to go. So have different protocols in place for if it was a, a phone or if it was a web or if they walked in and get all that stuff taken care of. That way you don't have to fumble your way through it. You know, all right, this person's on the phone. I do X, Y, Z. Okay. They walked in. Here's ABC. All right. You know, they, they signed the web form. Most of that stuff on the web can be automated depending on the systems that you use, which we would highly recommend you find some way to automate your web, your web systems, but it prevents a lot of work on your side and it kind of takes care of things without you having to think about it. Anyway, make sure that you have different protocols in place for all those methods. You know, if someone wants to come to your, your, your karate or your martial arts, don't make it hard for them to get there. Make it easy for them, get them in the door, start them training the way they can see the benefits and start, you know, getting that work done. And then of course, when they're actually in your studio, some of the questions we asked earlier, like, where do they go? Where do they put their shoes? How do they track their attendance? Is someone there to greet them, to show them where to go? Uh, just make sure that you have your staff on the same page so that someone can take care of that stuff so they don't walk in the building and look around a whole bunch and twiddle their thumbs while they're waiting to be helped. You need to be on top of that. You need to be there right away and get everything done, you know, learn their names, put their belts on, um, kind of walk them through what's going to happen in their class, show the parents where they can sit and watch the, the class, show them where they can put their things, you know, talk about your, your, your phone app if you have one, you know, all these things, make them feel welcome, give them the information that they need and anticipate any questions they may have. So, you, you know, if you have people ask the same questions every single time they show up to your studio, maybe before they ask them, say, all right, you know, here's the bathroom, here's when your classes are, here's, you know, where you can learn more information on our website, or if you need anything, call this number, you know, try to find out frequently asked questions, have the answer already prepared, give it to them before they even know they wanted to ask that question. That way everything is not like, oh, you know, I don't know what just happened to me. Okay, no, I went to this martial arts class, the next class is at this time, I can, you know, watch the app for videos, if I need anything, I can call, you know, give them the information. So really take care of your new students. We covered that in depth on episode 29. Yes, sir, you hit it. Can, can I start 30? Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so 30 is kind of picking up from where we left off in 29 is the, the steps that happen after their first class. So this is like, you know, what, what information do they get? How, how do they know when their next class is? Or um, are there any email follow-ups or text messages or anything like that that kind of goes along with this? For us, we use automations. And so after they come for the first class, we have a survey that goes out and, and this is impactful um, for me, I, I check these weekly, if not, if not a couple times a week, cause I like to have the feedback they get a survey that talks about their first class. Hey, did you learn something? Did you have fun? Was it exciting? Did, you know, did you find the school? Okay. And then, you know, all of those things. And of course you can tailor make it to whatever you specifically want to get from it. But those are really impactful to me because I'm the one that's on the floor interacting with those white belts, those brand new first trial people. I get them. And so that interaction that I have with them, I, that tells me, gives me feedback on how well I'm doing my job. And if they're consistently coming back with low marks or no, you know, you know, not so good, average rating was a five or, you know, whatever it is, then I know I need to do something differently. Or if somebody else is in charge of that, then I know I need to talk to that person so they can do something differently. 
Um, but having something like that that automatically goes out to them and then that gives you feedback on how you and your team do or did, hugely beneficial, hugely beneficial. And not only, you know, for that person that's teaching, but also for the school, you know, share that feedback with the team so they know, hey, good job on this. Hey, you know, that, that new, that new, you know, Sally who came in or, or the, the family, you know, the Joseph's family. And, you know, they, they had really good things to say about your guys at the desk. So good job. High five. Good job. You know, keep it up. Whatever it is, or if it's or if it's not so great, then do something about that. Have that communication to to help to fix those things in in the future. So really th taking a look at what types of steps, what types of of information do you think those new students need after they come to you for the first time, and then set up some automations, or if, if they're not automation, set up some tasks like um, a. A generated task list like okay somebody comes in for the first class I know I need to check you know these things off the list okay this person came for the new class okay to check these things off the list and so if it isn't automation if you don't have some sort of system that can automate then make it a task list and, and you know these are the steps that need to happen after that first class and then later on if you do get to have something that automates those things whew, man that makes that makes that work a lot easier to do but regardless have some sort of process that happens after they come to you for the first time and really getting feedback on on what they thought of your of your class what they thought of your school is beneficial because then that gives you f direct feedback on what you perhaps could do to to improve that for the next round of people coming in later on and you know as easy it is to as easy and beneficial as automations are you want to make sure that you still are making those personal connections making some time to you know before or after class go talk to them use their name talk to their parents ask them about their weekend ask them if you know uh, if their birthday's coming up, if they got any birthday plans, whatever it is, don't let the computer take over everything. Uh, still have that time where you can sit down and make that connection face to face and really develop that relationship, especially at the beginning, because, you know, it sounds terrible, I guess, but we are trying to sell ourselves to them. We want them to see that we do care about what they're actually doing. And, uh, you know, just don't neglect that human touch when you're going through this process either. And so this brings us to our next episode, which is episode number 31, which is dealing with cancellations and no to enrollments. Yes, sometimes people do say no and, and they cancel, they stop their training. And as sad as that sounds, it does happen. And again, with this, having some sort of, of communication, some sort of perhaps an exit interview, um, if, they, if, they, if they're a long time student they, and they wanna quit for whatever reason, have some sort of, reach out or, or communication back and forth so that you know, hey, is there anything I could have done differently? Is there anything that, you know, what 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 caused you to, to make this decision? Um, I think it's beneficial because that person is, is very well lost. You, you're not going to change their mind. You're not going to somehow, I mean, sometimes you can re-motivate them, which is great, beneficial, and, and, and worth the time investment to try to get that to happen. But understand that's not everybody. Some people, you know, they, they, they can't do it for X, Y, Z, A, B, C, or, or they had this thing happen to them, whether it's at your school or not. And having that opportunity to receive feedback, I think is beneficial. And again, not that you're going to win everybody back, but to have a, a chance to say, okay, these are the things I saw from you. And these are the areas I think you could have done better. These are the areas I think you did pretty good on. Okay, great, good. 
Thank you for that. Then you can go back to the to the you know your school and try to make some improvements based on the feedback. Now perhaps their feedback is way off base and not not you know accurate at all. Okay, fine. Perhaps it is very true and and, and, and specific to you know issues that other families and, and, and students are facing. And so having that is is I think very beneficial. Now no to enrollments and cancellations can be tough um, mentally. Because you put all this time and effort into the student and really care about who they are and their growth and the potential, and they stop. And maybe it's, maybe it's nothing you did or maybe it's nothing anybody in your school did. It was a complete outside instance or you know, whatever it is. And it's tough because you, you put all that time into them and then they're gone. You, they're lost. They're not there anymore. And again, perhaps somebody comes to you and you have a you know a trial period and you you know you're you're like oh man this guy's fired up he's ready to go su- doing super good and then it comes time to to say no nah, I don't want to what huh what and and you know it's it's tough it is tough and so um do your best to not take it personal unless it is unless you personally did something wrong or could have done something better then do your best to improve those things in the future but do your best to not take it personal because lots of times it really isn't. It's, it's so many other outside things and it's, it's their money and you don't know what their life is like or what their jobs or, or mom or dad or whoever. Um, there's so many different variables, variables at play there. So do your best to not take it too, too heartful. Yeah, and you, know, you mentioned it, trying to figure out the reasons for them saying no and the reasons why they're canceling and really evaluate what that is and if you have any impact on that. And something you said during that episode that I think about is, you know, some people will not enroll or they'll quit because of the price. The price got too high. I don't have the money for this, blah, blah, whatever. And you, you mentioned, Mr. Bean, that people will find the money for the things that they really want. So if they really want to be in your program, they will find the money to pay for it. And your job is to provide them with the highest quality program that they can want to buy into. So we discussed, you know, Harvard. People will play, pay out the nose to go to Harvard because it's a prestigious university and it offers a high level of education and they pay for that because they want it. So make your program something that they, they want and listen to those, those that feedback of the no enrollment or the cancellation. You know, I really wish there would have been more of this or, you know, this, I didn't like this, blah, blah, whatever. And of course, don't just bend your studio or your program to every whim of everybody. Really decide if that's something that you want and if something that you don't want and try to, you know, really think about the feedback you're getting. Remember, you're not going to please everybody. You know, if you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, things will work out. And if that's not someone else's cup of tea, sorry, you know, this is the way I am. Maybe it sounds cynical, but someone else will come along that will appreciate my program and that will really get on board and, and see what we're trying to do here. If that's not you, I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'm not going to bend over backwards to make you um, like me within reason. Of course, you know, if I'm doing something terrible, and I need to change that, then I'm going to change it. But if I really believe in what I'm doing and someone else does, just doesn't agree with it, sorry, you know, here's the door. See you later. And again, that's, that's easier said than done. Sometimes it's hard to co- recover from. But, you know, don't, uh, don't compromise just to try to make someone happy on something that you really think is right or really think is, is something that belongs in your program. Yeah, you know, and, and perhaps we told this story on, on that time, but I, I think it's enough to reiterate it here. Um, our five and six-year-old program, we lost two people that were, were relatively close together. So within a month, I think we lost these two. And the first one, dad, um, didn't like, you know, X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And, and it was hard to 
kind of decipher what he was saying like the 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 reasons he gave to for not for leaving were, were kind of i don't they were harsh uh, which is okay fine but they were hard to decipher precisely what he actually meant by those things and then we had another person leave for a really close uh you know time span within a month i think and that dad and again, this is like a five and six year old program. Um, that dad was very specific and, and clear on the things. And, and then after hearing what that dad said, I could go back and, and uh, you know revisit what the first dad said. And I said, okay, that's what the other dad was saying. He just, it, it wasn't in a way that I could uh, clearly enough understand. And so based on those two, we reevaluated that five and six year old program and we revamped everything that the whole, the, all of that information I, I rewritten uh, the whole program, two, as I think it's a two-year process, two-year program for them, but I rewrote the whole thing. So that information is completely revamped and new, and I, I'm not, it's, it, I can't win those students back. But what I can do is make it better for the future students so they don't go through that issue that those students did. So because of that, I was able to understand and learn something and then hopefully improve upon that program. And I think now where we are after, you know, after going through that, that program is much, much better suited for their age range. And I think that f facilitates some of the issues that those dads brought up. But all that to say is, yes, sometimes you do change your program. And yes, sometimes it's depending on what they say, but also it, as you're reading through those things, you have to do your best to try to decipher what the true meaning of what they're saying is, because sometimes people, for lack of a better term, don't have a good way to pinpoint what that is. They kind of go around and around and around what the actual issue is. And so trying to decipher what that specific issue is and then fix that for future students sometimes is, is tough, but definitely uh, necessary. Uh, all right. So... Moving on to the next one, we have episode number 32, which is missing students. And so from time to time, you know, people get sick, happens, or people go on vacation, or whatever other reason, you know, they, they miss a class at your school. What type of systems do you have in place? What processes do you have in place to help to bring them back? Because it's very easy to fall out of the habit of going to class. It becomes a habit. It's, it's ritual. It's, it's part of their, their system. They go through every day or, or twice a week or whatever. Monday's okay, we do this, we leave school, and then we go to karate. Okay, we do this, we leave and go to karate. And then Monday and, and Wednesday, it's the same thing. But if they fall out, maybe it takes a week, two classes they miss, and then that, that breaks that cycle. They're out of the habit of coming to your class then. And so doing your best to reach out to them and, and have some sort of system in place that will contact them say hey listen we didn't see sally in class just want to make sure everything is okay oh yeah sally was sick okay you know what can we set up a a one-on-one -on -one lesson to make sure she's caught up for that class oh yeah yeah let's do that that's a good idea okay great and without that without that contact perhaps they fall out of out of the habit of coming to your class and they're gone they don't come back and it's so easy to happen so easy to happen um so just just you know have some sort of thought or process um, in place to deal with, we, we call it MIAs, missing in, uh, missing in action, uh, but to, to have that MIA process and in, in thought out and in, in works, or at least most of the time works, and you're making those connections and you're finding out, you know, hey, you know, we're on vacation. Okay, great. Then when you come back, let's set this stuff up or, or you know, we're sick or we couldn't make, you know, whatever it is, but have those communications set up and 
don't rely on the students to, to, you know, call and say, hey, we're sick today, we can't make it in, because sometimes that happens, and that's great when it does, super beneficial, but it doesn't always happen. And so have some sort of, of way for that to happen and, and process that happens on a continual basis. You know, with this one as well, we talked about having a reactivation sequence. So this is like um, somebody quits, they cancel, they, you know, they're done. And then you have some sort of process in six months or a year or something that goes out to them. Maybe it's an email, a text message or combination, uh, maybe even a phone call that goes out to them and try to reestablish that connection, rebuild that communication and, and, and see if you can set them up on some, some classes. Hey, listen, we made some changes. Now we know that, you know, Sally is, is seven now instead of five should be in the, in the seven year old program. Is that something you want to do? You know, whatever, whatever it is, but have that kind of system in place to kind of reach out and touch them. I know, you know, lots of, of gyms like, uh, you know, weightlifting type gyms. If you, if you quit for whatever reason, they're, they're on you about coming back and getting you back in shape and do, you know, maybe you don't have to be kind of that, um, over the top or, or make that many connections to do this, but, you know, just reach out to them at the very least, maybe you, you, you in a year's time or a couple of years time, you give them a call and say, Hey, you know, how you doing? You know, what's going on in your life? How's school or, or how's work or whatever it is just to have that connection. Um, I think is very beneficial. Maybe you don't get the, anybody back from that, but I think that continuing those communications, continuing those relationships, I think, uh, that in itself is, is, is beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Uh, we also talked about uh, good job cards. Good job cards are just as they sound. Um, at the end of the night, sometimes at the end of the week, the instructors go through the list of the students that they had for that week, and they write them a, a postcard, a physical, uh, put a stamp on, send in snail mail card that's handwritten that says, hey, John, awesome job on your sidekicking class. That was amazing. Keep up the hard work. Signed, Mr. Bean. Boom. I put a, put a postcard on it. I send it in the snail mail in seven days or however long the, 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 the mail takes. They get the postcard. That's something very cool that they can f physically have in their hand and put up on their refrigerator. Lots of times, hey, thanks for the postcard. That meant a lot to, you know, whatever. It just that is a, I think this is where, where, the, where it came from. A hand, handcrafted, I mess this up every time you said it. It's now a bad time to say I don't remember saying that. And I think you believe I said it. And so every time you bring it up, I just nod my head and say, yep. I don't remember what you're talking about. Okay. I think, I think it was something along the lines of that handcrafted. Personal touch. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember saying that. Yeah. I think you made it up. Maybe not, but I guess well, go back and listen to that. Yeah, for you listeners, go back, out. listen to episode 32 and, and put, the, uh, put the actual phrase that he used in that episode. I... I um, I don't think I came up with it. I think you said it and I was like, wow, that's a good one. I like that. And then I just, I, I keep stumbling through trying to remember the specifics of what it was. Um, but again, have a handwritten thing that you physically send in the mail to them means a lot. It, it, you took the time out of your day to make that happen. It's, just, it's very impactful to your students and it, it doesn't take you that much time. Do them. Do good job cards. So beneficial. Yeah, you know, talking about those those things and how to bring uh, students back that are missing or how to you know deal with people who are wanting to re-enroll it kind of goes back into the previous discussion in the last episode of you know providing that value in your program and so giving something to them 
giving something to them that is worth something and to draw them back in is going to be a huge part in that factor. You know, so we talked about the reactivation letters where it says, Hey, I know you've been gone for a while, but I want to have you back. I'm going to, you know, if you need it, I'm going to get you back a uniform and a belt. I'm going to waive the registration fee. I'm going to give you free lessons to get you back on track. Um, if you were paying a lower rate beforehand, I'm going to honor that rate and really providing the value for it. And, you know, these good job cards are also part of that too. Is You know, it's not just they come here twice a week. We see them for 45 minutes, teach their class, and then send them on their way. We do care about what they're doing. We want to, you know, help to build them up and really provide them with a place that is it is fun or good to be at but also makes them better as a person. So, you know, making sure that that, that value is there, not only from the beginning and while they're training, but even after, if they cancel or they want to come back, there's a reason they want to come back. And, you know, being able to quantify that and have that available at hand and give that to them uh, is kind of part of this whole process, I think. So that is kind of the end of the new student type of um sequence, I guess, that we did there. Uh, then moving into episode number 33, we talked about teaching new information to your class. And of course, this kind of ties back in with demonstrating, but um, as you're teaching new information to your to your class, it's important um, you know, to have, have this kind of tool in your, in your toolbox. As you're teaching new information, try to cover all the different learning styles. So, you know, kind of combining lots of the different things we've talked about so far, but you're combining the different learning styles. Your lesson plan is designed to chunk down the information to make sure that, that everybody can actually understand and receive and, 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 and actually go and practice those things because you're not giving them too many things at one time. Um, all of this is so important to kind of put together as you're teaching that new information to your class from from demonstrating to having your lesson plan designed and set up correctly to establish those those new that new that new information to your students so important so important you think that's a that i mean we that was a good one and really that was kind of a the start of the the recap and combining lots of different things did you have anything to add to 33 no, I think it's, it did cover many, many different ways to kind of go about the information, brought back in a lot of the other concepts. So, you know, it's, it's a good episode to kind of touch on maybe at the beginning of a quarter or in the middle of a quarter or something just to kind of re, uh, reinforce some of the ideas and, and mindsets you want to have when teaching that stuff. But, yeah, like you said, I think this is really kind of the start of where all the stuff we talked about before started to come back in and we started to reference a lot of stuff from, from previous episodes too. So number 34, we talked about the levels of instructor. And so with these, uh, we have six levels to instructor. Level number one, the instructor, you know, doesn't even see a mistake, which is perhaps maybe not an instructor. But regardless, level number one, the instructor doesn't see the mistake. Level number two, the instructor can see that something is wrong, but can't exactly put their finger on what it is. So they see, no, that's not right, but they don't know exactly what, what is wrong about that. Um, level three, the instructor can see the that the student needs to correct their mistake but, and, and can tell exactly what it is, but they can't necessarily verbalize or put into words how to fix it. Maybe that's an instance where they just demonstrate, okay, do it like this instead because they can't exactly find the words that's going on. Level four, the instructor can verbalize how to correct the mistake, but the correction fixes the symptoms and not the root cause 
of the problem. So they're, they're in my terms, they put the Band-Aid on it. And it's not necessarily going to fix the root cause of, the, of what the mistake is. They're just kind of working with the symptoms. And, you know, that isn't necessarily the best way to go about correcting those mistakes. Level number five, the instructor can see the mistake. They're able to correctly identify the root cause of the mistake. So they can see the mistake. Okay, yes, this is what's causing the mistake. And then at level number six, they can correctly verbalize and under, in a understandable way, which is key. They can correctly verbalize in a understandable way how to correct the root cause of the problem. And that would be, you know, the pinnacle. That's where we all want to want to strive for. We see something on the floor. Hey, listen, it's this. And it's this is what they need to fix. And this is how we're going to go about doing it. Use these words specifically so they understand. Boom. Works. Right? And, and that is not always super easy to do. You see somebody do a sidekick and, you know, there's several different things that are, that are wrong. And really, probably most of those things can be fixed by fixing one thing. Maybe it's their foot turn, maybe it's their, their, their chamber, whatever it is. But, you know, one root cause can cause so much issues with the actual movement. So being able to correctly identify the root cause of the problem and then verbalize in an understandable way how to go about correcting that is so important. So that's, that's where you want to strive to be. And, and really, I think that just kind of knowing these levels and, and kind of working through and saying, okay, this is, this is where you're at at this level and this is where you're at this level. Okay. Oh, that's, that, yes, I understand. That's where I want to be at. And I think really that is, you know, knowing is half the battle. That is, that's this one, right? Knowing what level six looks like and, and striving to make, um, you know, not only yourself, a level six instructor, but letting your team in on that and building them up to also be level six instructors, I, th I think really is key. And we talked about this episode when you're dealing with your junior staff members or even your regular staff members and you're working on increasing their levels as instructors, you know, as, as higher level instructors, being able to um, convey or discuss the how and why of what we're doing to those other instructors so that they can have the kind of same mindset as us you know and we don't want to keep it a secret we don't want to try to keep it all to ourselves so that we can be the best we are the only one that is good we want to try to improve them too and you know letting them in on the how and why and what you saw that made you make the corrections and you know recently when i've been working with junior staff members something i kind of walked them through is you know first you need to realize or recognize that there is a problem then you need to identify what the problem is. And then you can fix that problem and then have your students kind of review that problem. Now, that doesn't cover all the levels and isn't completely, you know, all-encompassing, but I think that's a good place to start is realize, okay, something's wrong. Find out what's wrong and then fix it. And then, of course, the more you do that, the more you can get into the root cause of rather than putting a bandit on something, you can find out why there is a problem and then, you know, work on it, work on it from there. But again, being able to help your students and your, your junior staff members, your staff members to improve and to get better, not just saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. Let them think for themselves and let them develop that, you know, the higher levels of that uh, instructor that we, we discussed. Which moves us to episode number 35, which is teaching while you're teaching, which is an interesting topic. Uh, definitely something that's, that's difficult to do, especially, you know, 
accidentally. But if you can do this, if you can teach while you're teaching, meaning you kind of talk through the process, like we just were, like we were just talking about, talking through the process of, okay, here's the root cause. Okay, this is the actual issue with this, and this is how I'm going to go about fixing it because of X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And so instead of going through that checklist or the process in your brain, verbalizing it so that not only you know, that person, that student that is, is, you know, you're directly interacting with is getting it, but also anybody else that perhaps has that same issue is getting the information on. But on top of that, your team that's there is hearing and partaking and in, in, in at least getting access to that information in the moment as it's happening. That kind of, to me, that sums up teaching while you're teaching. Again, is, is absolutely... Um, a switch that you perhaps have to find and turn on and make sure that it stays on because it's so easy just to get in the mode and just fix this thing and fix that thing and teach the class and you're done and you're like, oh man, I, I completely did not do any teaching while I was teaching. Um, so being able to establish in the moment as something's happening, why you're doing it, not just in your own head for your own sake, but for your team. And perhaps maybe you do it as you're, you know, you pull everybody over at the end of class. These are why I did these things. And maybe that's, that's not necessarily teaching while you're teaching, that's teaching after you taught, you taught. But if you can do those things as you're teaching, definitely it's beneficial. Again, not just to your, to your staff, your, your current team now, but those students that are in class, they're potential future staff members. And so they're going to be able to partake and get this information ahead of schedule, which you know, maybe for the one person that's in that class, perhaps that it's going to be on staff later on, that would be beneficial for them. And it was worth the time to verbalize that process as you're going about it. Certainly, even just to help this that one person. Moving on, episode 36, increasing information retention through connections. You know, having your students come to your class and not just feel like they're going through the motions, not just feel like they're here because it's time for class and it's time to do this thing, really providing connections to them, you know, making sure they, they can equate the class, uh, having a fun time learning their martial arts with going to the class and doing drills and activities that really get them involved and engaged in what they're, they're working on instead of just doing hand techniques, maybe making some applications say, okay, you know, someone does this attack, you defend in this way, having them run through it and then saying, okay, look, what you just did was this hand technique or this foot technique combined with this hand technique, whatever it is, kind of make those connections and not just uh, kind of throw your information out there as, as fact, like here's these things do this because that's what it is, but kind of give them different ways to train those moves and different things they can kind of connect in their brain of like, this move is this, or this move is related to this thing that I'm doing. Or, you know, even going back to how we talked about earlier in analogies, you know, this move is like this, or this is how you do this and this move. And just creating those connections and have really having them uh, invest in what they're doing, what they're training to be able to focus on the moves and, and kind of build a better, um, I don't remembrance isn't the right word, but retention for the information because they can draw or draw those connections between what you told them in class or how you did a drill here and there to what they're doing. That way it's easier for them to remember it when it comes time to actually perform that move. Yeah, you know, anytime you can relate new information to pre previously fundamental or, or, or common knowledge information is so beneficial for, for that new move because that new move is something new, is something abstract, something they haven't done ever or if ever or very many times but if you can connect that new move to 
something they've done a million times or, or you know, thereabouts uh, is super beneficial. Or if you can connect it to something that's happening outside in real life or you give them a practical use case for that move, it makes that move, it builds those connections and makes it so much more useful. And that usefulness in turn will be easier for them to remember, oh, this move is like that. And I know that one. So this is, I got it easy, right? That having those connections is really, really important, specifically as you're teaching or as you're, you're striving to get your students to learn brand new information. That brings us to episode 37, the specific learning targets. And so having these specific learning targets for your students helps them know what to focus on and really helps them to understand what they did in their class. So, you know, um, before your class starts, you say, hey, today we're going to do this specific section of this form or we're going to work on this self-defense move and really be specific about it and say, hey, we're going to do some self-defense or we're going to do some forms. That's not specific enough. Say, hey, if you are this belt, you're going to do this thing. If you are this belt, you're going to finish this move or whatever it is. And, you know, even break it down further and say, you know, today we're just going to work on this hip motion for this technique. We're going to work on this hand placement for this technique, or we're really going to practice this stance or whatever. But, you know, be more specific with those learning targets and, and really get down to the nitty gritty of things to help them focus on one thing at a time. And all those one things will come together eventually to create that overall move or overall form or overall um, self-defense thing. And, you know, this might be more suited for later in your quarter during the review phase, if you will. So you spend the first month doing the new techniques, really working on the new stuff. And then later you can focus on specific things and give them those specific targets. But not only in class, you can do that, but when they go home, say, hey, listen, your homework is to work on this part of this form, these four moves. Just work on this one part, this specific thing. Go home, practice that. Make sure it looks good. When you come back, we can work on something else or work on the next thing. So, you know, it kind of goes along with our, our goal setting, but uh, be specific about what you're doing and really give them a certain thing to work on and to focus on with the goal of bringing all those things together to make their overall picture a little bit better. Right. You know, for us, what we do is, let's say, class number one through seven, we focus on technique, like as, as far as learn this technique and let's do the ins and outs of it and tweak all the, all the little spots of the technique. And then class seven through 14, okay, now let's focus in on your footwork. Make sure you've got the kicks right, your stance is right, your feet are in the right place for any number of the moves that they're doing in that class. And then as they move on, the last you know, a little bit of the quarter, uh, you know, 14 through 21 or 22, depending, that's where we put the intensity on. So we're, we have, and, and, and they carry over. So when we're working on the footwork, we also are, are looking for the technique. And then we are focusing on the intent and the intensity. We're also focusing on the footwork and the technique. And so we're just building on. And then as they move into the next belt cycle, it's the same thing. They do the technique first, and then they focus on the footwork. And then they move in and focus on the intensity and they're building. And so every step they take closer to their black belt and beyond, they're getting more and more finer detail orientated on those techniques and they're getting more and more finer detail orientated on the stances and their intensity is growing each and every time because we are specifically looking for those things and built into the lesson plan into the into our to the system really it's, it's all there those specific learning targets 
Um, and of course, as you're doing that, don't hold that in. Don't, don't, you know, don't look for those things, but not tell anybody, Hey, listen, guys, we're going to focus on your stances today. So for today, doesn't matter the move. I want to see the best stance that you have, or I want to see the highest kick that you have. If that's what it, or today, your intensity has got to blow me away. Like you got to be so loud and intense as you do in and so on. Let them know those things that way that they know what the target is, because that's going to be a lot easier for them. Of course, as you can imagine, they can hit that target because they can see it. They know what the target is as opposed to, you know, you have it hiding, you know, hiding behind your back. Of course, they can't do that. Let them know what it is so they can see that target. They can reach it. They can achieve it. Yes, sir. That brings us to episode 38, the art of reteaching. Talk about reteaching being anytime you have to teach the same information to a, a student or a group of students and how often this is due to a lack of practicing other students or you know, at least that's how it seems, but really we need to discover or find out if so, you know, something consistently is having to be retaught or if you're reteaching the same information all the time again, then maybe you, maybe you're delivering the information in a not efficient or not effective way. Chances are the information needs to be broken down a little bit better to help them learn. And, you know, when it comes to the information, make sure that you're pre-framing the students, letting them know ahead of time that this might be difficult information for them to uh, digest or work on, but they have to apply themselves in order to, um, in order to actually achieve or, or do well at these things. And, you know, if you find again that something is, is constantly forgotten, if you're doing the same move over and over again because people are forgetting what it is, then find a way to make sure that it will never be forgotten. Go out of your way to spend extra time on these movements. Do some drills. Think of analogies you can make so that people are never forgetting how to do these moves that they constantly before were always forgetting. And, you know, when we have to reteach, it can be frustrating because you're like, dang, I just taught you this last week. Why didn't you practice it? Why do I have to show you again? Why can't you remember this? And really being able to take a step back and say, okay, I'm very frustrated right now about the situation, but maybe it's not entirely Johnny's fault. Maybe Johnny didn't understand what I was telling him, or maybe I didn't give it in a way that Johnny understood based on his learning style, or maybe I didn't make sure there's enough time for Johnny to practice this. So it's not always the student's fault. Now, there are times when people just don't practice. People just don't practice. They don't make time for it. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, it goes one or two ways. There's never an in-between. Either they don't practice and then they straight up lie about it and they just continue to try to lie to you about it. And at this point in time, uh, I know Mr. Bean just had an incident last night where this happened to you where someone was trying to tell you, oh, yeah, I practiced, you know, I practiced here. And you're like, what? No, you didn't. First of all, there's no way you practice at this time. There's no way you practice as many times as you said, and there's just no way you did it. I've been doing this for X amount of years. I know ex I know what it looks like when someone practices, you know? And, and and in that instance, the key really that told me this that this student did not practice, I said, when specifically did you practice? And his answer was two weeks, or he said two days after last week. Two days after last week? Th those are just words you had randomly floating around in your head that you said out loud. And then when I drilled that down to try to find, so two days after last week, so that was last weekend's on a Sunday. So was it Monday or Tuesday? No, it was on Friday. What? What? Two days after last, that, that, that's, no, you didn't practice. Just tell me you didn't practice. Okay, I didn't practice. Two days after last week, that was, sorry. It, it, it did, that just happened last night. And, and that, yes, mm -hmm. two days after last week. But there are, there are there are times when that'll happen. That's that'll be your answer, and you know they just didn't practice, and they'll try to lie about it, or sometimes they're just honest and say, hey, you know I just didn't practice. 
and you know then it's more discussion of hey do you actually care about what you're doing or do you actually want to be here and you know that's a different story but either way um, don't always approach those situations as in there's something wrong with the student maybe there's something more that you could be doing as the instructor to help them learn that information too and having to deal with those those reteaching scenarios yeah you know this one for me the the, the art of reteaching was all about a mindset shift and so of course, we're going to have to reteach things. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen at some time throughout your career, if not multiple times to the same student or the same group of students, or even to always green belts. For whatever reason, they need to re just understand that's part of the process. It's going to happen and do your best to not go into it with a um, upset or disappointed mentality. Just use it as a time to refresh the skills, not just for those students, but for anybody else that is there that perhaps does know it and they can do it. Okay, great. Good job. You know what? We're going to use this time to refocus just to check in and make sure you got this good and, you know, reteach it. It's going to happen. Just come at it with, you know, kind of fresh eyes and in and, and a, and a, for lack of a better uh, phrase, in a pleasant um method a pleasant way just as a as a mindset shift to, you know it's not something you have to do it's something you get to do you get to have the opportunity to reteach this information just to make sure everybody's got it just the right way episode 39 creating your ideal student in my in my head this is student or this uh, episode was was very reminiscent of our first episode you know being the best martial arts instructor in the world and the fact that we want to identify the qualities we want our students to possess in order to be quote unquote the ideal student and really start having to sit down and decide what makes up that ideal student and then like we talked about with uh, some of our other other episodes already, building that stuff into your program. So it's not something that they have to go out of their way to 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 gain or to to uh, take on, you know, putting in lessons that build their character and make them more hardworking and teach them about goal setting and, and teach them how to ask questions and teach them how to interact with their moves. And so creating your ideal student shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be part of what you do in making your students exactly what you want them to be. Uh, you know, and everyone's going to be different. I say exactly what you want to be. We're not making copies of people and forcing them into a mold, but we can make them the best version of that student that, that they are capable of being and not making it happen by accident, making it happen on purpose and checking our progress with them and saying, hey, here's where you were last quarter. Here's where you can be this quarter. And here's a specific thing you can work on. And here's an extra you know, extra credit. I want you to work on this thing too. Again, with the idea of, of creating them into who we want them to be, not only as students, but as people and really developing a, a great person that goes through the program to benefit their other peers, benefit themselves in life, you know, because if they can be a good student or an ideal student here in our karate studio, chances are outside of the studio, they're going to excel in other places as well. And again, just making sure that doesn't happen on accident, making sure that's built into the program, something that we are purposely doing to help them in their training, but also in their life outside of the studio too. And of course, like with reteaching, as you're giving this information to them, have opportunities to retouch on this information or to maybe um, narrow in the focus and make it a little bit sharper, a little bit cleaner, a little bit better to have whatever that quality is. And so um, don't treat this as a, a one time, okay, we're done with this now. Understand this would be a continual process, and as you're going, th or as rather, as the students are going through the, your your system, your program, make sure you start with the overreaching the foundational things, and then as they move up the belt hierarchy, the information they're getting is 
getting more and more specific. And so as they reach the black belt level, then they are really close to that exact ideal student that you're looking for. And if not, if things went off the rails halfway through, then understand you're going to have to tweak and change and make modifications. But it's just part of the process. Part of the process. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Bean, what is episode 40? Episode 40 is note-taking. Note-taking, um, of course, in terms of martial arts is a little bit abstract, a little bit different than you know note-taking for school. In school, we talked about people are sitting there, they got a, a desk in front of them, their pen and paper out, or their, their keyboard is out, and they're ready to type, and it, you know, we don't have that in martial arts. And so developing some sort of process for your students to have an opportunity to, to take notes and really a, maybe note-taking is not really necessarily the right term. Maybe it'd be more like a martial arts journal. And in this journal, we kind of solidified this just into a few questions, you know. So question number one would be what new information did I learn today? And then they, they get an opportunity to write what new information they learned today. And then moving on, what information do I need to spend some more time on? Why do I need to spend some more time on that? And then how? How do you plan to go about spending more time on that, you know? The next one is what did I excel at in class? What did I do good at? What was, what was you know, what, why? And, and then why did I do good at those things? And the last one I, you know, I, I threw out as like a bonus question was what was my favorite part of class? And, and really in, in terms of getting them to think about the favorite part of class, of course, that gets them to think positively about the experience they had in your class. And if they're looking for positive things, they're more up to find positive things. And so that'll build in some positive reinforcements and feelings about your school. And we have our black belts go through this process. In fact, we have them bring a notebook to their class. I gave them these these prompt type questions and I told them to write them on the inside cover of their notebook because those are never going to change. Then they can flip to whatever empty page. They can just write the answer. At the end of class, we take a few minutes. Okay, write these things down. Boom. Okay, do you guys have any questions? No? Okay, great. And uh, the feedback that I've gotten from the older students has been positive and the feedback I've gotten from some of the parents also has been positive. And so if you don't have something like that in your program, try it and, and, you know, try it with your black belts or try it with your advanced students or try it with your, just your adults or whatever it is. But so super easy to, to implement just to try, see how it goes, do it for, you know, two, three, four months or so and get some feedback. Okay. Was this beneficial? Was it not beneficial? If it's not beneficial. Okay, fine. Then don't do it. If it was beneficial, okay, great. Consider, you know, adding that as a, as a, you know, part of your process that you do with the younger students or with the, the younger ranking students, not necessarily in age, but lower ranking students as well. I think this is a great example of working into our program, something that we want our students to, um, to do. You know, we, we talked about how Mr. Bean and I both at different times during our training would take notes out of our own volition. You know, no one was asking us to do it. No one was telling us, Hey, take a note. We just thought, Hey, I want to remember this or something I want to go back and work on. And so we took notes about it. And I think, you know, that might be part of the reasons as to why we've come as far as we have, or, you know, part of the reason that was important to our training to make us what we are today. And so this is that example of us building this into our program and making our students note takers. You know, I'm sure it's, there's some scientific studies or whatnot about what writing stuff down does for your memory. So at the very least, helping them remember what they did in class by writing it down and being able to actually engage with that stuff. And then asking those questions, I think, helps them to further engage with it. You know, what did I do good? Or what did I do? What do I need to work on? Why do I need to work on it? Or what new things did I learn? Again, to work on their memory, but also help them dive into the information and really engage with it on the paper, not just in their class. And of course, if they write 
questions they have or write things they need to work on down right after their class is done, it'll be a lot easier to remember, refer back to that than, you know, two days after last week when they come back to it, try to remember what it is they did in their class uh, that night or whatever. But again, no taking it. It seems like such a simple thing. seems like a, a really easy idea, but I think it does have a profound impact and can really go a long way, um, you know, for your training, but also for your, yourself personally. Moving right along, we talked about the four steps to teaching a great class. And again, your four steps could be vastly different than these. These are the four steps that we had. Uh, step number one is have a plan. Step number two is know your material. Make time for practice and then engage the students. I believe if you can check those off in somehow, way, shape, or form as you're on the training floor or the teaching floor, you're going to be teaching a great class. Right? And, and again, perhaps your four steps, maybe it's five steps or two steps or whatever it is for you and, and your specifics at your school, but have some thought out, some you know, checklist sort of say that you know, things that you want to make sure that are happening in your classes so that you know that you're teaching a great class. Yeah, that, you know, that's it for me on that one. Yeah, and just looking at those or hearing those now, having a plan, knowing your material, making time to practice, engaging your students, those are all things we've previously discussed. You know, We talked about knowing your material and being able to do things. We, we talked about your lesson plan, having that plan made up. We talked about making time to practice and know that, you know, making time for them to get their stuff done, uh, engaging with the students, developing your relationships. So again, this is kind of an idea where Everything we talked about before comes into this, you know, four-step, if you will, four-step plan to to uh, actually having um, a great class. And you know, that was episode forty-one. We moved into episode forty-two. Again, something we discussed before, being able to evaluate that. So, episode forty-two is the marks of a great class. So, once you have that plan, the four steps to teaching that great class. When you go back and look at your class, what are the things you look for to identify if it was a great class or not? So, you know, things like students are showing up. The students know their information. What does your, your viewing area look like? Are the parents that are sitting there paying attention to what's going on? Do they get their, their, their faces buried in their phones? Are they not even there at all? So not only in episode 41, having the plan or making the plan to having a great class, but then taking a step back afterward and evaluating that class and if it was a great class or not and what things were good about it, what things could improve, and then referring back to the plan and making the changes necessary and actually getting those things done. Yeah, I, I agree. Yes, yes. Moving right to episode number 43, we have short-term versus long-term memory. Understanding that there are, of course, short-term and long-term memory, and there's a little bit of in-between memory. Understanding that's something that happens, and, and, and everybody has those. Everybody's going to be learning information or hearing information or intaking information in, in the realm or related to short-term versus long-term memory. And, of course, as you are teaching, you want to be moving your information from short-term memory into the long-term memory, maybe even the working memory. Part of that is understanding kind of how that works. You know, people's short-term memory is short, you know, about 30 seconds, and they can remember, you know, plus or minus seven, uh, plus or minus two items. So maybe at most nine, nine items, and then kind of on the low side, maybe five items within 30 seconds. That comes down to, you know, when you're demonstrating the information, if you do happen to go off the rails and, you know, go off into a tangent, coming back, refocus, hey, this is it, specifically X, Y, Z, A, B, C, ready, go, right? Giving that as a, as a kind of a directive 
right before they go to do it is very beneficial in keeping the short-term memory kind of in, in thought, in, in play as you go through this. On top of that, perhaps if you are teaching more than eight items in a class on any given day on, you know, across whatever topic it is, that may be too many. Because, of course, that information you did in class is not necessarily going to immediately transfer into long-term memory. They're going to have to spend some time on that. And if you are giving chunks of information that are 15 or 20 moves long, and then another, you know, you move from self-defense to your, to your sweeps or throws, and you learn three or four new ones of those, and, you know, at the end of the class they have, you know, 35 new things to remember, the chances of them remembering those for the next class or even by the time they get to their house very low, very low. So keeping that under under control and giving them, you know, again, maybe eight items in a given day, the whole day across whatever, you know, disciplines or, or focuses you have for the day, only focusing in, on about eight items at a time really will be beneficial to getting them to remember that information and then moving that short-term into long-term memory. And, and, you know, really this one for me was very beneficial because lots of this, uh, I didn't know this was research that I did in, in, in really learning about different types of memory and, and moving information from short-term to long-term memory. So to me, this, I, I thought this was a very beneficial uh, episode. Definitely. If you haven't listened to it, definitely worth um, going back to for sure. Yeah. And I think it's a good reminder too, that we are, we are in the long game not just a long-term memory, but in the long game for our students too. So if it takes you a couple classes to get some information down, it's going to benefit them as we go. You know, we're starting with the, the smaller building blocks and then working up our way to, to larger building blocks and then just putting those building blocks together to make our total pattern of the move. So it doesn't have to be an all or nothing scenario, but I think it's more beneficial to them and working on their different types of memory to start with the smaller pieces, take our time, put the smaller pieces together and make them bigger, 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 eventually to get the, the larger picture that you're trying to build instead of trying to cram it all into one. I think that's going to benefit the most. And, you know, as we got to in the episode, scientifically, it's probably one of the better ways to go about it. So doing the smaller things and really making sure just really that, that quantity over quality type thing and, and you know, deciding whether or not or, or when it's important that we're in it for the long term. So really focusing on the quality of some of our moves and rather than the quantity is going to be beneficial and and leveraging that short-term versus long-term memory when we're teaching our moves. You know, moving right in, continue talking about memory. We transition to episode number 44, which is spaced repetition. Spaced repetition really comes into how frequent you have the students recall and review and rehearse that information. So, you know, if you are teaching new information on a Monday, when really is the prime opportunity to recall that information and spend time reviewing it. Is it on Tuesday? Is it on, you know, Wednesday? Is it on the following Monday or, or you know, whatever day it is and kind of playing with that and, and using that as a unit to adjust and modify and tweak and trying to find the, the key time separation in between learning that information and then how much time to review and then how frequently to review really is key, right? And and so um, in this one, we talked about the researchers at York University in Toronto. They looked at the averages of the students that were testing. They, you know, they, they went to a, a lecture. Some of them took a, a test right afterwards, right after a 45-minute lecture. Half of them took it. And then the other half took the test eight days later. 
And five weeks after all the students took their quizzes, they completed their final exam, and the results showed that the students who took the quiz eight days after the lecture performed significantly better on the exam. So having that, here's the new information. Instead of doing something with it, they waited eight days. Then they took a quiz on it, so they had them actively recall that information, and the students who were in that group did significantly better on their final exam than the other ones who took the test right afterwards. Now, perhaps on the test right afterwards, the, those students did better on that test, that quiz, but that didn't transfer, that didn't, that didn't correlate to their long-term retention of that information when it came time for their final exam. So being able to play with and modify how frequently you're having the students review that information uh, really is key. And, and, and part of this, I really believe, comes down to having the students actively recall the information. You don't want them to just regurgitate, yep, you said A, B, Z, X, Y, Z, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, here's this move because I just saw you do it, so of course now I can do it. But having them physically thinking about it, using their brain to try to stretch themselves to remember something that you did, that would be the key separation in, in my eyes. In my eyes, it's causing them to really use their brain. And because they're using their brain, they're going to have better connections to that information because of that. And so I, that's my that's my kind of takeaway on space repetition. Yeah, and I think sometimes we, we, I mean, before this episode, at least I know that we did things like this. Um, but being able to put a name to it and understand the science behind it, I think is kind of cool. And if it's not something you're doing, then maybe try it, you know, and it doesn't always seem like the most logical thing to do, but it, it works, you know, and it really helps to reinforce that memory or understanding of your moves. And maybe if you, you know, are in a slump where you're having trouble teaching the moves or you're constantly reteaching again, like we talked about earlier, try this, try to implement it in your lesson plan and give it a try. At the very least, you try it, it doesn't work for whatever you're doing, for whatever reason, fine, whatever. Go back to what you're doing or try something different, but definitely worth a shot. And, uh, uh, you know, I would almost bet that it does have some benefit to you if you haven't tried it yet. And again, realize that you're in for the long game. It might not have, you know, specific, immediately impactful takeaways that you can see, but later on at testing time or next testing time, it would. And I would say maybe if you wanted to test this out, do a part of the information that your students don't necessarily need to know right now. So it's outside the realm of what they're normally doing as a, just as a test. Uh, so moving on to episode number 45, we discussed burnout and, and perhaps how to prevent burnout in your students. So burnout would be your students are coming to class every day of the week and they're spending hours and hours there. And then they're, they, you know, they do that for like a month and they're like, okay, man, I'm done with karate. I did it all. Right and, and trying to work into your your class schedule and in the the atmosphere of your school to kind of you know set them up for success as far as coming okay you come on Mondays and Tuesdays or perhaps probably maybe even better you come on Mondays and Wednesdays and you're here for an hour on, on each day and then you do two hours a week and that really is prime and this kind of goes back to the spaced repetition if you do it all at one time well I would consider that to be cramming. And if you cram martial arts into your brain, you know, every day for hours for a month, after that month, your, your, your brain is fried for martial arts. So they need some time to, to reset and do something else. And then at that time, they get out of the habit of coming to class, they're done. So setting them up for success by your schedule and, and allowing those times, okay, it's Monday and Wednesday, and you're here for an hour, so two hours a week, we really find that to be the prime 
unit, the prime um, time of focus for your students and setting them up like that by scheduling your classes appropriately to help prevent burnout. Yeah, and we even went into the details of, you know, not only preventing it and what we can do to prevent it as far as the schedule and the drills and stuff like that. And, and uh, we also talked about if they are burned out, what to do, you know, having a re-motivation meeting, utilizing our good job cards, uh, maybe taking a break uh, from the classes that you're normally coming to or just uh, different things that you can do about it. But, you know, it's, again, another issue that can creep in if we're not careful about it and working into our program ways to help prevent that and stop it from happening in the first place can really benefit us that we don't have to deal with it once it happens um, and really just keeping our students in mind and helping them to get the best out of their training and like Mr. Bean said finding that sweet spot of here's most likely what you should be doing each week or what we find better each week to help you really stay engaged and involved and not pushing it too far uh, can lead to injury or you know to, to cancellation or other things like that so just really having their best interest in mind and trying to stop that from happening in the first place. So moving right into episode number 46, which is how to be a great student. And this was a, an episode that I did specifically for Master Kent. He, he really wanted this episode. And in this episode, we talked about, you know, what you can do to be a good student, but also how to foster a good student in your program, which is really good students. They want to know, <clears throat> excuse me, they want to know specifically it's ABC, XYZ all the time giving them too many variations is, is, is tough, right? They need to be within that, those parameters. Yes, it's this and it's all the time this, not sometimes, no, it's all the time this and encourage the students to ask questions, right? And, and don't negate their question or, or, you know, laugh it off, or, you know, give them an answer. And if you don't know the answer, go and find what the answer is so that you can tell that student and perhaps you will learn something from that instance. And that thing that you learn very well might be the new protocol for teaching that information in the future. So if your student has a question, do your best to answer that question, right? The, it may seem like they're just giving you a hard time or whatever. They're, they want to know the specifics behind whatever it is and why and how to do it all the time. Give them the answer. And again, if it's not something you know, go and find what the answer is. Learn something for the benefit of your student. And again, perhaps that might be the new way, the new standard for teaching that information in the future. Yes, sir. Yeah. I know I asked for this this, this uh, episode, but I think it's one of the best ones that we can do, not only to understand how to interact with our own instructors, but also how to understand um, interacting with students in our class and, you know, dealing with those situations where people are asking questions or trying to really, you know, uh, yeah, I just think it's a good good episode both ways on how to be a good student and also how to deal or how to interact with your students in class that are quote unquote good students and, and really just understand that dynamic. So again, I know I asked for it, but I, I did enjoy this episode as well. Yeah. And you know, sometimes the, the those good students are the ones that oftentimes get labeled tough, challenging because they're asking those questions. So just understand that that is not you know, come at it with a new set of eyes. They want to learn and that's how they're going to learn. And, and perhaps it might challenge you. Good. Bring us into the last few episodes here. Episode 47, we talked about events. We covered events that we do at our studio here, such as board breaking seminars, a parents night out, the National Martial Arts Appreciation Month, a buddy bash, extreme obstacle course, 
Nerf Wars, Zombie Nerf Wars, Birthday Parties, Field Trips, and the Martial Arts Extravaganza. So go back, listen to the episode to hear the details about each of those events. But then remember to try to plan those events out and make them fun for your your students. And then also plan them in a way that you can try to bring in new prospects that might join your program then too. So uh, again, the episode was a really deep dive into the different events we do, why we do them, how we do them, and kind of a good way to help bring in Uh, outsiders, but also then to increase or strengthen your relationship with your current students. Right. And that moves us right into the, the, what what I would call the game data uh, database. Um, With this one, we went through all the different games we play. We have Chinese stars, the great wall, uh, wars, belt sparring. And, and, you know, we really did a, again, a deep dive into what those all are, what they look like for us. If you don't have games like that, you haven't tried something like that. Chinese stars. If you have a plain wall, in fact, this wall, if you're watching a video, this wall that we right that is right behind us, that's the wall that we use. It's just a, a blank wall. We have the students line up on it. We throw the pads at them. It's like dodgeball, one-sided dodgeball, I guess. They have a blast at it. So if anything, if you get from that episode, try that. See how it goes. And when the students have fun, be willing to play some more. Build that into, you know, you have a, a five-minute window in your class, boom, plug that in. They'll love it. And, and, and not just the kids, the adults, everybody. Everybody loves that. Everybody does. And especially if you can build in beneficial factors to that. So when they get hit, they go on the other side of the floor, which is behind where the camera is right now, and they, they practice their form. Okay, boom, you do the form one time, then they come back in. Or they go and do some kickboxing combinations. Okay, boom, they come back in. So beneficial and really so much fun. So much fun, and they're getting beneficial practice out of it, and it's kind of disguised practice because they're having fun at the same time. Beneficial, for sure. Right, so from episode 49, the game database, we moved into, or sorry, from episode 48, the game database, we moved into episode 49, which was our talk on the ecosystem. Uh, 49, yes. I, I probably said 49 on... You didn't say a number on the last oh, one. Oh, I That's see. why okay. I mentioned it. 48, game database, 49 the ecosystem. This is our, our last episode that we did before we started our recap. Um, probably the most recent one you listen to if you're following along in order. But again, we talked about our ecosystem and um, the feel of our school, what the, the, the environment of your studio and what it's like to be in there. We talked about things such as the way it smells, the way it looks, the way it sounds, um, you know, how you feel when you walk into there. And we talked about the way we can influence that or change that. So not only by the way that things are set up physically, but by the way that we interact with students or parents or prospects or anyone that comes in there and really developing that good ecosystem to be a place that people want to be at, to be a place that people know is going to be somewhere they can grow and learn and uh, um, a positive place for them to spend their time. So not only do you want to be aware of those things, your ecosystem as, as in the decor or the look of your studio, but also the way people are treated and the way people are acting inside of the studio and really, um, create an ecosystem that is beneficial and positive for your students and anyone walking in. And remember, we talked about it just like with everything else, do an evaluation, see what you like and what you don't like, change the things you don't like. And then every once in a while, you know, periodically continue to reevaluate and make sure that your ecosystem is up to the standard that you want it to be and try to maintain that positive ecosystem as you continue and, you know, go throughout uh, your, your business. Right, and really this is about building your community, your, your family of martial arts 
practitioners. And like you said, the school is a big part, the way it looks, the way it feels when you go there, but also, you know, the person working at the front desk, desk the interactions the, the students have with other students, the interactions the parents have with other parents, all of that is at play. And all of that really is set up and, and, and sort of dictated by how you run the school. And maybe dictate is, is not the right word because I don't want anybody to be a dictator or think that that's what you need to be. But the way that you have that stuff set up is really how that's going to play out. And so do your best to build a, a good community into your school. Yes, sir. Yeah. And of course, last episode, episode um, 50 was the first part of our recap, episodes 1 through 25. And this is episode 51, the uh, second part of this recap. So, um, you know, again, just like we talked about last time, it was, it's nice to sit down and kind of go over these things again, kind of gives ourselves a refresher of everything, and then kind of hit the key points of those episodes. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, what's what's there left to say? That's pretty much our whole our podcast up until this point. All the episodes are covered there. And hopefully, if you haven't listened to those, these two recap episodes were a good um, overview to help you find out what you can expect from each of those episodes. And if you have listened to them, again, like we did, it's a nice thing to kind of go through them and, and kind of relive or remember some of the stuff that was covered in those topics. And, and hopefully, both these things are beneficial for you. Uh, either way, whether you listened or haven't, you can find something from these episodes. So, uh, Mr. Bean, anything to add, sir? Yeah, you know, we, we look forward to hearing from you guys as you ask us the questions in our upcoming question and answer episode. And, you know, um, I'd be, I would love to hear some feedback on what you think of the podcast so far. What were some key points that you, uh, that you pulled out? What are some things that you implemented into your, to your school and your system and some benefits that you've had from listening so far? Yes, sir. To do that, you can reach out to us on social media. As always, we are uh, on online, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, Instagram, all those places you can find us at MA Teaching Tactics, MA for Martial Arts Teaching Tactics. Again, that is MA Teaching Tactics. Until next time, I'm Chris Kent. And I'm Chris Bean.